Welcome to In Season, where we explore the farms, gardens, and wild spaces of the Lower Columbia Pacific region. I'm Teresa Retzloff, and I am so happy today to be talking to David Hendrickson of Carlo Wines and Cider. Hey, David. Hello. Thank you for having me. I, we've, we've been planning this conversation for a really long time now. I think we first started talking about it last fall. I think we talked about it maybe the first time when I came by your booth at the Manzanita Farmer's Market and tasted some of the amazing cider that you make. And you told me that you were sourcing a lot of the apples that you use in your cider in the Nehalem River Valley. And that was so fascinating to me that it was a really delicious cider. You're a local cider maker and you're making it from apples of the place. And then you had some other other cider or wine that was made from fruits like all collected along a certain road and and it just started turning over in my head that there's like such a connection to place for where you're pulling your ingredients from and that fascinated me so I want to hear more about that but tell us a bit about yourself um the winery winery cidery and also the pronunciation because we were talking about this it's Carla but it's not spelled like that yes I'll start with the confusing bits first, but I'm David Hendrickson. I run Carla Wine and Cider. I know it confuses people because I make almost exclusively cider, but I have a winery license to do so, and I had aspirations to make wine, um, but eventually just became kind of obsessed with apples. And so... <laughs> <laughs> it just, happens like that. <laughs> yeah, it happens like that. So I have all, you know, I essentially produce cider as you would wine. Um, so I have all winery equipment, wine barrels, wine tanks, um, but I just fill them with apple juice mostly <laughs> at this point. Um, and how did you end up in, in the Nehalem area? I honestly probably ended up in the Nehalem area selfishly to be able to go surfing more. Valid reason, <laughs> very valid reason. <laughs> if I'm being honest, but I had uh, I'd lived in Portland, I had worked in wine production at for Scott Frank at Bow and Arrow Wines. Um, I had done for harvest there from 2014 through 18. Um, I then went and worked to harvest in Germany for a small kind of natural wine producer in the Falls Valley in Germany, kind of central Germany. Um, and then when I relocated back to the Northwest, um, I was kind of done with the city <laughs> and uh, thought about settling in the Willamette Valley somewhere and eventually ended up on the North Coast um, it's much easier for surfing. It is much easier for surfing. <laughs> it is much easier for surfing. I think it's like, that's a valid reason to settle anywhere. And yeah. it's very, I mean, it does kind of tie you to place, but it makes it a lot easier if that's yeah. something you do for recreation. Yeah. And it was a beautiful place and a wild place, you know, fantastic community. And I really liked being in just kind of a small town, a bit more rural area. Um, and really just fell in love with it. I'd been visiting, I had been surfing and friends for years, um, but yeah, it just felt right to kind of settle down. Um, and currently I'm in Wheeler. And so we have a, I have a winery license. We've converted our old barn behind the house to a small, As one does. <laughs> a small rustic winery and cidery. Um, uh-huh. It was all built in 2020, summer of 2020, um, which was kind of a wild time to build something, but it was always also just an amazing time with uh, a lot of time outside, a lot of creativity. Um, and so, yeah, I built the whole, the whole space to my own specs, essentially by hand in 20, in summer of 2020. Wow. And then I made the first vintage of cider um, in 2020, kind of picking apples from, from local folks, old homestead plantings, 
large plantings and then a number of wild trees kind of in public lands, parks, spaces. Were you looking for a certain kind of apple at that point or was it just whatever you can get? It was, I mean, I'd loved, I'd loved apples forever. I had, my first real experience of truly loving apples was the Portland Nursery Apple Fest, which they, which, <laughs> that's a great, that is a great festival. Yeah, and it is wonderful. So it's like all the apple growers come in and you can pretty much taste, you get like a tasting sheet, you get to taste 50 varieties of apples, go through, put your notes down, pick your favorites, and then you can buy either nursery stock for trees or you can buy apples for eating, pie, sauce, cider, whatever you want, direct from the growers. And so I remember going through tasting 50 different kinds of apples, reading the stories, where they grew, where they were found, all of these things, and just kind of became obsessed. Um, and then we had made cider, small production with friends every fall at the winery in Germany with friends in Portland um, and made really good cider. <laughs> made some really good garage cider. Um, yeah, and when the, fine, when the time finally came, um, it just felt really fun to do it on my own and kind of do it my way with everything I knew from winemaking. Um, how is that different from like how, cause you're differentiating, like I make it like, like winery, but it's cider. But so how is that different from like a, a traditional cider place might make it? It is, uh, it is quite confusing, but I will, I'll try to distill it into I'll try two to sentences. Distill it down. <laughs> um, so most cider, well, first off the word cider means fermented apple juice. Mm -hmm. So people in prohibition, they kind of reimagined it and just called apple juice cider to mm -hmm. make it seem nicer. Alcohol wasn't available, so they wanted a premium apple juice to be called cider to differentiate it from the clear juice you would get in the grocery store. Like a real nice fresh pressed apple juice is nicer than a Martinelli's filtered, or a yeah, filtered yeah. clear thing you'd get in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. um, so they started calling it cider. And then in France, in Spain, Portugal, everywhere in Europe that had made cider, you would always only make it once a year when you harvest apples in September, October, November. You would take that fruit fresh, press it at your cidery, ferment it, and then bottle it. In the U.S., you are required to have a winery license if you want to make cider from apples. Even if, if it's non-alcoholic or is it just if it's going to be alcoholic? Just if it's going to be alcoholic. Okay. So you would have a winery license only about 10% of the cider producers in the U.S. have a winery license. So that would, they're not producing cider from fresh apples. Okay. Um, so they are buying like bulk juice. Okay. And then fermenting it in their cidery, adding whatever needs to be added to it to make it. They're buying it either bulk fermented or they're fermenting it with you know, lab yeast, sugar, a number of additives, and they make kind of a slightly sweet or very sweet bubbly beverage called cider. <laughs> Which is clearly very different from what you're doing. So what you're doing really is closer to a wine process where you're taking the fruit and pressing it and then directly with that juice that you're pressing, making yeah. the beverage. That is really, yeah. I, I had not understood that. That's fascinating. And coming from a winery background, I was just... I was really interested by all these apples that grew in different conditions, whether it was elevation or soil type or the variety or how they were planted. Um, and then trying to pick all those at their peak ripeness, whether they ripen in late October or some early ones in August and trying to kind of handle those differently, mm -hmm. press them in season when they're really truly ripe. Um, 
and blend varieties together that have different strong suits. Some early apples will be really tart and juicy and bright, whereas the later apples will be kind of sweeter and have more like late season fall flavors. And so blending that for both the like tannin and structure of the cider, you want it to be bright and tart. You want it to be tannic and serious and blending those together to make like a really balanced beverage. Um, and then obviously with apples grown here, grown bottling, most of my, my bottlings are designated by place. So to try to kind of bottle some of the spirit of that place every year. Do you find the apples out here, I mean, are there, are there types of apples that were planted here on the Oregon coast that are different from maybe other places? Because it feels like, I feel like when I look around a lot at some of the wild trees or the old homestead trees, I feel like I'm seeing the same apples Yeah. everywhere. Like yeah, did, one, was... did one person come through and sell like the same tree to everybody? There were clearly <laughs> some very, uh, there were some nursery men that were in the area. <laughs> that had planted a lot of similar things. And it's really cool when you, when you see these trees and you can kind of put it together, like these trees look the same age and they look the same and they ripen the same time. Like they- It's probably they that. probably came from the same person, the same nursery source. Um, but there's a number of old homesteads that were also planted by cider makers. And if you have 3000 pounds of apples, the only thing you can really do is make cider. That's, it's too much to make applesauce, too many <laughs> pies. <laughs> and are there different there's different types of apples that might be better for cider than not. I mean, there must be some that you would like, yeah, that tree's really beautiful, but I'm not going to use that one. Yes, there are. Yes, there are apples that are fantastic for cider, but I also kind of come from the camp that all these apples, if grown well, um, can be really useful and amazing in cider, especially if they come from, if they come from a place and they're kind of part of the place, they deserve to be in the bottling of that place. <laughs> whether or not they be, could be considered uh -huh. as the greatest apple. But when you put them all together, but when you, put them all together you get a flavor of that region. That is so, I mean, that's really fascinating. Because yeah. I think about it, I mean, oftentimes you, even just in, in thinking about cooking and eating apples, there's like, well, these are good for pie, or these are good for fresh eating, or this is good for applesauce. And sometimes it's about, does the apple structure hold up when you cook it? You know, if, you, if it's like a pie apple, it, like it'll, the slices will hold their shape, but there's some that like once you cook them, they just turn to mush. Indeed, and there's just, and that's the coolest part about apples is that there's essentially an infinite amount of them. <laughs> <laughs> and so they each have their own little, yeah, their own little high sides and low sides, if you will. Um, do you do any work with property owners? I mean, are you now trying to like get people to sort of take better care of their trees? Are they like pruning them better? Do you, how do you, that or is, do you just like cruise the roads and like see some cool <laughs> trees and just be like, can I come harvest? Yeah, there's a little <laughs> bit of that. And I'm trying to get more into really helping people take mm -hmm. care of these trees. Like oftentimes people might not realize what an amazing resource it is to have a tree that needs little to no agricultural input that will put up hundreds of pounds of delicious, healthy apples for eating, for cider, for mm -hmm. pie, for applesauce, for vinegar, for whatever you want. And these these trees will require next to nothing when they're older. They can be dry farmed. They require a very small amount of pruning every year if you choose to do that. Um, they're just incredibly resilient and they do. They love the clay soil out here. They love all the water we have out here. And they do well. Just driving the highway out here, I saw a hundred apple trees <laughs> <laughs> just between Astoria and here. And that's just like a, a short drive. Yeah. 
Yeah. It is amazing. I love seeing them when they, I, I don't always recognize them as an apple tree, but you notice it this time of year because suddenly the fruit starts to pop up. Yeah. And yeah, I have some friends that just bought property down the road and they, I think they've discovered like 30 trees so far yeah. in their property. Huge. <laughs> I mean, they're trying to pull them back. I mean, they're ones that got enormous. And so now right. they're going through the process of trying to prune them and pull them back. Because how do you even harvest fruit that's, you know, 30 feet up in the air? That was before a lot of those trees were being grafted onto a dwarf or a semi-dwarf rootstock. Indeed. I yeah. know. So that's exciting. So that's exciting for you, too. Yeah. I mean, you've got to go out and, and find ways to pick all of that. Yeah. Do you have people to help you do, do that? Or is it you and a bucket it's and a ladder? Of, it's, it's me and a pickup truck and a ladder <laughs> a lot. Um, I'm making it for cider, so I don't need to pick every apple by hand. I mm -hmm. go with an old, um, just a great word for it, an old English method, which is called panking. 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 And panking <laughs> is setting down a tarp with a long stick and shaking branches. And then and all, they your, all fall down. All the apples will fall off when they're ripe. So you're kind of trying to decide, right, when the tree is in peak ripeness, you can clean everything up, put a clean tarp down, give the branch a gentle shake, and you will have hundreds of pounds of apples raining down. Panking. I love that term. <laughs> that is, I'm going to pank some trees this fall. Yes. <laughs> And I can see that being much more efficient and, and possibly yeah. if, I mean, I would imagine if you're going to be juicing them anyway, if they get slightly bruised in the fall, it maybe isn't a terrible thing. It's not a terrible thing. They just need to be processed in, in time. You know, mm -hmm. as soon as the, as soon as the fruit is bruised, it will start to begin mm -hmm. decomposition. So, you know, if I can pick them on Tuesday, they will be totally safe to process by the end of the week. Um, but you wouldn't want to store them longer than that. If they had any bruises or dents, I try not to store them just because that's where things can. They can, one bad apple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they can start to. That, that, that expression exists for a reason. Yes. <laughs> yeah, one bad apple can start to spoil many of them. But um, yeah, in the fall, we, we definitely hoard thousands of pounds of apples at our barn at any given time. Wow, that, I mean, that is just, that is so yeah. cool. So do, are you going back to the same trees now year after year? Yeah, I'm going back to a lot of the same trees and I've made relationships with landowners there to kind of help them. And this is kind of the next part of my project moving forward is to really focus on helping people take care of some of these trees, whether that's just simple weeding, some light pruning mm -hmm. um, in a year like this year, which is a huge fruit year. It's been crazy. It's a, it's a bumper year for apples <laughs> <laughs> on the North Coast. So I've, I've gone out to a couple places, helped people brace branches, did some thinning of fruit so that whole branches don't fall off. Um, and, and that's the thing where the, the tree just puts out so much fruit that the, the branches just get too heavy and they can fall and break. Yeah, we had had a, we had had a very light apple year last year. Um, and so this year the trees were ready for big fruit set. We had that really dry May. So yeah, big fruit set, everything got pollinated. And uh, yeah, the branches are heavy this year. <laughs> are you are you going to try and up your production, um, or or is there only so much capacity that you can do? It's I am trying to up production. Um, it is a it is a good year. It's a very seasonal and kind of vintage driven craft, and that the the growing year is really me trying to represent that growing year is really important to me. But in a big year, I do strive to make as much cider as I can. <laughs> um, I am working with. A new organic orchard project so i'm bringing in some orchard fruit for uh the second time i worked with her and her partner last year um, so that's been also really fun to work with some apples from true orchard plantings uh-huh how uh, are they different you just get to 
I'm sourcing really cool cider varieties. So it's the, it's the specific varieties specific, you're going after. Because there are, I mean, I know that in, in researching trees to plant here, um, and you're, it's just overwhelming how do you pick one or two, but, yes. but there are ones that are, this is a good cider apple. So what makes a good cider apple? I think I come from the camp that I love apples to be really multi-purpose and mm -hmm. good for lots of things. True cider apples are often too bitter to eat. It's, it's always funny to give one to somebody and they take a bite into it and it's so bitter, <laughs> they just spit it out. Yeah, but that uh, makes a good cider. But that will make a good cider and it makes fantastic juice. Like it'll, the apple will be almost inedible on its own, but when you crush it and juice it, the juice is like incredibly complex and bitter and it has structure and high levels of sugar and um, that is fascinating. Yeah. It makes me think of um, tart cherries versus sweet cherries. Yeah. And like yeah. tart cherries, people call them pie cherries because you're going to add a lot of sugar to it. But but they're amazing when they're juiced. It's delicious. Exactly. You eat those pie cherries and they're almost inedible to somebody yeah. that are so tart and bright. But then, yeah, you chop them up, bake them, just like a little sprinkle of sugar and it's just incredible yeah. pie. That's so cool. Yeah. Do you, are you trying to get people to plant more cider apples out here? I am constantly trying to get, <laughs> <laughs> trying to inspire everybody to plant more apple trees out here. They're fairly low maintenance. They grow so well out here. Um, mm -hmm. We've got some good nursery sources out here um, that have really fun varieties that are multi-purpose, good for eating, good for baking, good for juicing. Um, so what are some of your favorites, do you think? Like, I mean, are there... Are there varieties, like if someone was wanted to, like, say you don't have a lot of space, maybe you're a home gardener, but you want to have a couple apple trees and you want sort of an all-round, do you have some like all-round ones that you like? Yeah, I would recommend to anybody um, planting apple trees at home to get something on a semi-dwarf rootstock. A popular one that you'll see at most nurseries is called M111. And that's that, the rootstock. That's the rootstock. And so that will grow a tree that in its maturity will be around 18 to 20 feet tall, which is about 60 to 70% of a full-size tree. Um, that rootstock also loves clay soil and moisture, which we have a uh, lot abundance of both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so those trees tend to do, in my kind of short couple years experience doing it, those have all done really well. Um, and that's also pretty typical for what a nursery will stock just because they have such a good track record. Mm -hmm. And then you can have anything you want on top of that grafted onto it yeah. yeah grafted onto it um and then yeah apples need help they need to cross pollinate so you would want to select you need a couple yeah you need a couple or you almost always need a couple but you would want to just talk to the nursery and select trees that um, flower at the same time there's a couple different flowering groups and so for really good pollination you would select a few trees that pollinate in a similar time so that they can cross pollinate each other and then make sure those varieties um, also agree and like to pollinate each other and that's the nursery should have all of that information for you that is it's a lot of things to think about it but is. really cool i just want to say if you just are joining us i'm uh today on in season i'm speaking with david hendrickson of carlo wines and cider and we're having the most fascinating conversation about <laughs> apple trees it's making me really excited about apple trees and I mean, it is something that you see so much around here, these old apple trees. Old, and a lot of times just, I mean, the deer are getting most of it. You know, it's just falling on the ground. People don't know what to do with them. Or they get overwhelmed by how many apples yeah. are there. And, and juicing them, making cider seems like an awesome use of a lot of that fruit. Yes. Um, I, I think that certainly if people want to be like, 
rehab an old tree, that's a great thing. But if you don't have an apple tree, it's a great one to plant. It's a great fruit tree. It, they do seem to really like growing out here. Yeah. But are the, but there are varieties that maybe won't do as well here on the coast. I mean, they do seem sort of regional. Like they, I mean, there's there's plants that do well on the Willamette Valley, but don't do well out here. So right. apples are like that too. Yeah, and I'm kind of learning on the fly. I'm doing all of my own nursery work and planting lots of trees and kind of trying to keep the strongest ones. Um, I would rather have a productive tree that, you know, can grow enough apples for the community, whether you're juicing them, making pie, making sauce. So I like these multi-purpose apples. Um, yeah, and so trying to get trying to figure out which ones those are so that I can graft more of them and have those available for people in the community if they want Do you to graft plant. your own trees? I'm grafting my own trees. I that have. is so cool. <laughs> I, uh, I think I've grafted one tree successfully in yeah. my life and it was pretty exciting. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a fun project in the spring. So you would buy your rootstock from a nursery mm -hmm. um, right in the spring, right when the sap kind of starts to flow, when you see like kind of the first flowers coming on is typically when you'd want to start grafting and in the winter time, so a few months before that, you would gather um, the first year's growth from the wood. You would snip that off, mm -hmm. and then you would store it in a slightly humid, cool, dark space. And then you would slice, splice those together with a knife. You make a kind of a two-step incision, fit them together, wrap them in some clear tape, and uh, the sap in the cambium, which is the outer layer of the bark, if you will. Um, that's where most of the nutrients and sap flows through. And if you can connect those two layers, you will have a healthy rootstock on the bottom with whatever variety you want on the top. That is really satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you ever take cuttings from old trees that you don't know what they are, but it's a good one? I have an extensive library <laughs> of kind of all my favorites. If I find really unique trees, whether they're at an old homestead site and somebody has a great story about the tree, um, or a wild tree on the side of the road that just has, makes amazing apples. I'll, I'll try to go there and, and get wood from that to kind of continue that cultivar and see how it does on rootstock, see how, see if I can reproduce it in a few years. So are you selling trees? I mean, can people buy trees from you or are you just, you're mostly like pro propagating them to like get them planted so you can come back and harvest the apples? <laughs> no, I'm kind of propagating them. I, I love doing it for fun and I'm, I mostly give them away to friends or people are really interested. Mm -hmm. um, I will happily show them how to do it and mm -hmm. give them away to friends. And then, yeah, working with other folks that have, that have space and say, hey, I'd like 12 trees here or I think we could do six here. How long does it take for a tree, like once you've grafted it, for it to start producing fruit? Is it, it would like take about five years, five to seven years. Um, by the seven or ten year mark, um, you would have a semi-mature tree that would be producing probably more apples than... Than you know what to do with. Than you knew what to do with. <laughs> so you're really <laughs> investing in the future here. We're trying to invest in the future. There's a great, um, there's a great old saying that is... Uh, the very best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, and the second best time is today. <laughs> I yeah, I have heard I've heard variations on that, and I it, and I really it's it's so true. I mean, we here at our farm we we kind of did everything backwards, and I focused on all the you know the annual crops and all that, and got that all up and running. And then I'm like, oh, orchard, right? You know, we should have planted that 10 years ago, but now we're just getting it started. But you know, it's also you're planting it for the future. You're you know, planting you're planting it for, it for next generation. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not just for you right now. 
No. Yeah. And because those trees can live a really long time. I mean, you're talking like 60, 80 year old trees sometimes. And, and over a hundred maybe? Yeah, and up to a hundred. Wow. Yeah, in the Northwest, this whole area has incredibly old trees. I mean, they, they think that the, they thought it passed away, but it's actually back. The oldest apple tree, the oldest known apple tree, I think west of Mississippi was in Vancouver, Washington. Wow. Yeah, and it was 140 years old or something. I hope I quoted Still producing right. apples? It fell over in a storm and they thought it had died, but it came, came back. back. <laughs> <laughs> they, I mean, I am actually really surprised at their yeah. vigor and, and their tenacity as yeah. well. I mean, sometimes, I mean, sometimes they do get too old and it, it really just is time for that tree yeah. to, to, you know, lay down. Yeah. But it is amazing how much you can pull them back from the brink and then yeah. suddenly it's an amazing productive tree. Yeah. That is so cool. So if people are interested in trying your cider, if they want to connect, if they want to learn more about it, t talk a little bit about where people can find Carla wines and ciders. Yeah. And I mean, it's just really cider that you're selling. It's really just cider. I do make one fruit wine um, mm -hmm. that does contain grapes. Um, it's a fun project with a friend in North Plains. He has the site of his home and vineyard was an old plum and pear orchard. Um, so there's a lot of plum and pear trees. There was also a small homestead apple orchard and some wild trees kind of in the in the hedgerow, if you will. Um, plus all the grapes that he grows and his neighbor grows. So we started a project that's kind of like a, if it grows together, it goes together kind of thing. And so, yeah, we've been making kind of a wild fruit line with apples, pears, plums, Pinot Noir, Pinot Gris, and Chardonnay that are all grown on this little hilltop. <laughs> that is so, and I've had that yeah. and it is delicious. It is so yeah. cool. It's, and I love the idea that it is like representing that one specific place. Yeah. And it's the flavor of that place. Yeah. And it will certainly never be the same. It's, it's changed wildly every year. Um, I tend to work in a manner where I don't add very many preservatives. Um, I don't really add any. And so it's kind of just like, I want every bottling to really be a snapshot of of the vintage and the time and and just see where it let that kind of lead the way so are you are you currently selling down at the manzanita market or i am i do the manzanita farmers market friday nights four to seven is a really fun i love that market yeah it's a really good market in august at the at the farmers market in oregon is just <sighs> peak, peak everything peak everything, peak everything. So and good. there's so much delicious food there um so I'm really proud to be a part of that. I do tastings there every Friday night, four to seven. Um, we are having a really fun first annual Apple Fest yeah. in the Halem Valley. Cool. And that will be on October 14th at the Grange in the Halem Valley, which is just kind of up from Moeller and Wheeler, just uh -huh. a couple miles up the Highway 53. Um, that will be on October 14th, and that will be a chance. I'm gonna bring my press people can bring in we're going to have an apple tasting with kind of all the folks old apples so we'll be able to taste apples that'll be so press juice cool. pie contest <laughs> apple cider donuts kind of all the uh, all the big apple season things and that's been a work in progress um and this will be the first year it'll be small but it should be a lot of fun and it'll yeah, yeah it'll be a chance for people to bring in their own apples press them learn to use the press um that sounds donate extra apples if they are that sounds so fascinating <laughs> no that sounds so great and i just i just want to put in a, a quick disclaimer um it, if this happens to be re-aired at some time in the future we're talking in 2023 so the dates we're talking about exist for this year only but yeah. um so future years hopefully it'll keep going and, yeah. and just keep checking back I, it just all sounds so exciting and i love seeing this kind of revival of place and apples and the connection and 
I can't wait to taste this year's vintage. I got to get down to the market, to Manzanita Market, and, and taste some more. It's so good. I really encourage you guys to connect with David and his amazing cider process. It's delicious. Um, sadly, we're out of time. I can't believe this went so fast, and I feel like I've got 100 <laughs> more questions for you. <laughs> but uh, it's been great, David. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing out here, and I'm always love to chat apples oh yeah <laughs> clearly um definitely stop this guy and talk apples with him so and thank you so much to everyone for joining us on in season um it's been great and i'll talk to you next time thanks, thanks a lot thanks.